1: And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Inside the Hive. This is your co-host, Joe Hagan. I am with Emily Jane Fox, special correspondent and my co-host. Hello, Emily.
0: Good morning. We have the Godfather here today.
1: The OG. The Godfather. The,
0: the reason for the season. Nick Motherfucking Built in, which I think is your given
2: name, right? One day you may call on me to send a tweet for you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> today might be that day because. Today might be at, that day. I maybe am the Godfather. Like, I stopped. We've talked about this a million times. I really don't go on Twitter anymore. I stopped tweeting. I hate it. This was. I don't know, maybe two years ago now, and now everyone is joining me. I really feel like a little trendsetter. And Nick, I know that you have abandoned Twitter long ago, long before this. Is that right?
2: Well, like I've abandoned Twitter like like someone who, you know, stops eating ice cream, you know, who still kind of gets it sometimes just sure. with no one looking. Uh, <laughs> I, so it's fascinating, though, because I have been writing about this fucking company for 17 years from day one. And I met Jack and Ev and Biz and those guys in 2006 when it all first started. And to see see where it is today is really mind-boggling as a bystander and also someone who was part of the story in some respects at certain times.
0: Sure. So because you're probably the person who's most steeped in its history and best sourced around the Twitter world, and I'm sure you have so much incoming when big things about Twitter happen, and this is Definitely the biggest thing about Twitter that's happening. What are you hearing? What's coming to you? What are you getting?
2: Well, I mean, first of all, my phone has literally just not stopped dinging since Elon Musk actually went through with the acquisition. Um, what's been really interesting is kind of what people have been saying. So when at first, the first couple of days, it was a little bit of shell shock. People, you know, a lot of people leading up to the acquisition didn't believe it was actually going to happen because he was trying not to do it he he really screwed up with uh with how this all went down you know little quick backstories he loves Twitter um it's his Washington Post like, you know as Bezos bought The Washington Post and and you know every all these big billionaires by time and and all these other places like this is his version of that the and Atlantic. he really the Atlantic and so on and he wanted to kind of he felt like it was a massively undervalued company, which he's correct. Everyone in Silicon Valley says that. Uh, it, he felt like it was underperforming. It had a lot of gloat, and that it it wasn't reaching its full potential. Um, and so he figured, okay, I'll join the board and see if I can have some impact. Um, what had happened to you earlier is Jack Dorsey had been fired. He you know likes to say that he he quit of his own accord. He did not. Um, he was pushed out by the board. He was kind of given an ultimatum: like, you leave, or, or we're going to push you out. Um, and uh, this guy Parag was put in as CEO, and Parag didn't know what the hell he was doing. He was uh, head of engineering. He'd never run a company. He, you know, and then he was handed, you know, the biggest pile of shit imaginable in corporate history uh, with so many problems. And when Elon had said he was going to join the board, which I think would have actually been a really great thing, I think he could have, if the board would have listened to him, he would have been able to affect change, um, Parg told him to stop tweeting negative stuff. And Elon mm. doesn't like to be told what to do, because no one in his life tells him what to do. He's surrounded by sycophants. Every single person uh, in his orbit agrees with everything he says and does. It's, and rich, so,
0: it's rich person syndrome.
2: It's But it's the richest person syndrome. Sure. And, he, um, and then he just had a little temper tantrum. He said, you know what? Screw you. I'm buying the company. That's where the problem comes, because the price he put forward was $44 billion. At the time, the company was probably worth 12 and now it's probably worth 6 And so Elon has found himself in the situation where he desperately has to figure out how to get his money back uh, out of the company. Um, and he's trying, he's literally, you know, it's ironic when he entered the building, he he brought everything but the sink with him. That was his thing. But really, he's actually throwing everything but the kitchen sink at this this problem. And it's just shooting from the hip, you know, not thinking things through. And he is now finding himself in a situation where user numbers are going up because of all the chaos on the platform. But revenue is heading down into the drain. There are a lot of issues on
0: voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.
2: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How is your social battery right now? Is it bursting with energy or drained? How do you recharge it? Have you ever reflected on those questions? Therapy can give you the self-awareness to build a social life that doesn't drain your battery. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Hive today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel pcom slash Hive.
1: Let's talk about the sort of central tension. Uh, you know, he's flailing around. But the central tension of his acquisition is that he's been piping off for the last few years about how there's too much moderation of free speech on Twitter, and he wants to be able to say whatever you know, politically incorrect things, and and have other people do it. When there's there, there's been inflection points, right? There was that right wing comedy newspaper that got kicked off Twitter, and he was mad about it. Babylon B, at Babylon B, and by the way, I have I deleted all my tweets. My account is like a tombstone now, and it was. Right after when he tweeted comedy is now legal on Twitter, that was that was it for me. I was like, oh, God, please. So funny. That, you're not funny anyway. But then the other part of it is, is that you have to as an ad driven company, they have to moderate content in order to not drive away advertisers. Right. Is Those are the two tensions that he's stuck between, basically.
2: There's a lot of tensions. That is definitely two of the top tensions. The other tension is, of course, that he. He actually is quite brilliant, and he is someone who gets things done. Um, you know, there's that that old saying like, if "We want something done. Ask a busy person." And and I, you know, he he's been underestimated his entire career. No one thought he would get rockets into space. He, you know, is the first private company that has ever gotten rockets uh, to the space station with humans on them. So far, none of them have died. Um, that's a a big deal and really hard to do, you know, Tesla was one of the most, I think it may have been the most shorted stock in history. It became the, not only the biggest car company in the world, but uh, the eighth biggest company in the world, um, you know, and you can kind of go through pretty much all of the things he's involved with and see how big they get. And I think that if you took, if you put aside him and his ridiculousness sometimes on Twitter or in public, I think that there's a pretty good chance that he he would be able to turn the company around. Ironically, the biggest thing standing in his way is his own personal Twitter account because he can't stop himself from tweeting things that are more divisive and and, and push people away. I mean, I, I can walk you through what's, what I find really interesting is the verification badge process. Oh, um, I was going to uh, ask
1: you about I, that because I'm so confused as to what he did or
2: didn't do. So... I, and I did actually it was funny I tweeted about this this week I was like you know what I'm going to tweet I did a little Twitter thread and I never do Twitter threads but um, so so what's interesting is so back in 2006 when everyone starts signing up for Twitter it's you know it's like a bunch of friends that are all hanging out and they're kind of talking about their cappuccinos and which bar they're going to and so on and so forth and then Around 2007, 2008 or so, a year or two later, um, there are these fun accounts that, that are created, um, the creativity of the Internet. Like there's at God and at Darth Vader and things like that. And they're really fun. And there's like there's not that many people in there. So they're, you know, they're just like a, it's a good time. And uh, and then the the fun fake like, the you know, the fake God account, unless it is real God, but I, I don't think it is. But the fake God account. Starts to get attention, and then other people come on and they start to create fake celebrity accounts. Um, and they create an account for Kanye West, um, and Kanye's pissed, and he he has a blog at the time, and he goes off on the blog and says "f Twitter" and this, that, and the other. And then there's um, this baseball manager um, from the Cardinals. I forget his name, but he uh, finds out about an account and he sues Twitter. And this is 2009. When he sues Twitter. Uh, it kind of put the company in this position where they had to do something about the fake accounts. And they didn't want to get rid of fake accounts because that means they would have to get rid of God, right? And Darth Vader. And that's really fun. So they created the verification process. And the idea was originally that, that they would verify first the important people and the celebrities and the journalists and the, and the actors and so on. But eventually it would get rolled out to other people and that everyone would be verified as a verified person and so on. <laughs> The problem was that there was so much infighting at the company and Jack Dorsey and Evan Williams were, you know, trying to take control and so on and so forth that that it it never really got pushed out. And what happened was for 14 years, there was these verified badges for like the fancy people, like became a form of feudalism. Right. Uh, And then everyone else couldn't get a badge. And it got so stupid and Twitter was so fucking dumb about it, where there were like literal people who were famous or celebrities or whatever who wanted to be verified so their accounts weren't getting messed with. And Twitter would just say no. And this is, I think, where um, where Elon's right. It's like, okay, well, let, let's make some money on this because everyone wants to be verified. The problem is he just rolled out this platform without any thought or recourse, and everyone started to buy these verifications, then change their name, right? And so you had like a fake Eli Lilly account that said insulin is now free, you know, and the stock fell, you know, billions of dollars. You have like all of these incredibly funny, but very dangerous for society accounts that happen. So now he's paused the verification badge process. And yet to me, it's like there's such a simple solution. It's like go use some, there's online background checks and things like that. Use one of those services. Right to ensure that the person that wants to be verified is actually them. And then once they get that verification badge, lock their account so they cannot change their username, username or their icon. Why, why not do that? So it's like he has the idea and it's, it's great. This is like a good revenue source and it makes sense for the company and for the society and so on. And then he just doesn't execute it properly. Well,
0: I have a question. If you have that, which I think is an incredible solution if you're trying to make a company that is both stable and just and uh, not chaos creating. But wouldn't it limit the user numbers, which I'm sure would have its own problems in terms of how much the company is worth and how much money the company is making and, and how many advertisers it can attract? Because I know firsthand there are many people who used to troll me who would ne- never put their real identity online or would never go through a background check, right? That's like that's how Twitter has so many users cuz you have so many trolls on there who don't want to be identified.
2: Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying that everyone needs to be ident- identified. You can't verify God, right? What? Um yes, it is true. I know this is a very existential statement that I just made. If there are any can- uh,
0: faith leaders listening to this, just Just
2: let us know if you can verify God, because I would actually love to know myself. But you can't verify God. So yeah, of course. And what makes Twitter different is, you know, one of the great parts of Twitter is the uniqueness of the creativity on there. Uh, But it's also one of the worst parts of Twitter, because it means people can say anything without any recourse. But I think that Elon's philosophy of like, okay, if you verify people, they can become trusted news sources is correct. It's the execution of it that is not. And I think that what he's trying to say is if if everyone, if a lot of people get verification badges and we know that that's Joe Brown and that's, you know, Jennifer Smith and this, that and the other, and they're like, hey, I'm at this fire and, you know, here's a video of it, you know, it's real. Or this is my opinion on this, you know, it's, it's going to, and it will also, I think at the same time, the philosophy is that it stops those people from being as mean. The problem, and then the, with as far as the other accounts that aren't verified, they just get less important. Um, and so it's it's a good idea. It's just a terrible execution.
0: God, they should hire you.
2: Well, you know, that's... It's, would you uh, take the job, Nick? I'm a little busy. I would not take a job at Twitter uh, because I'd probably be, I'm not a sick fan, so I'd probably be fired the next day. But if they called me and they were like, you know what? If Elon called me, he's like, Nick, I want you to be CEO. I'd be like, cool, let's do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, you there that, you Elon? go. <laughs> uh, that's going to be the headline of this uh, podcast episode: is uh, Hey, Elon, Nick, Nick, Nick Bilton. Yeah, Nick Bilton's here for you,
2: new CEO. Uh, I just think I think be... that I, look. I think he, I think that it's it's interesting because so much of his criticism of the platform is correct and it's everyone's criticism of the platform under Jack Dorsey who was a checked out CEO the company was so bloated it had 7500 employees the company has not changed much in 17 years you know tweets went from 140 to 280 characters okay you know like you could attach some photos and videos to your tweets okay but that's it, it what it could have what that company could have been and what people told me in the early days that we're investing in it they said this is going to be the next google and it could have been it could have been it could have dominated search where you're searching real points of view and real opinions it could have dominated video like tiktok all of these things but because of the asinine way with which the company was run because jack was so busy just looking for power and control and not looking to actually run it 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 became a disaster. Um, and yes. it, it, you know, and I think that if Elon were to, A, stop tweeting just utterly moronic stuff, you know, like Paul Pelosi, you know, yeah. conspiracy theories and like attacking the Democrats and this, that and the other, if he were to take a stance that was a little bit more normal, which I don't think he's capable of doing, um, and middle of the road. And um, I think that You know, people like Joe Hagan would not have quit their Twitter account.
1: Um, Well, the reason he bought it is so that uh, that he could be God verified God on Twitter. So that's the problem for him is he's not going to be able to give up. You know, the uh, endorphin hit of uh, constantly being at the top of the food chain.
2: Well, totally agree. What's also fascinating is is a third of Twitter users follow him, so he has a hundred and. 8 million followers at this point, so which mm. is pretty interesting. But but I think that he is going to have to, I think he's probably learning this lesson a little bit, but I think he's going to have to learn to be uh, a little bit more of a statesman if he wants this to succeed. But there's also part of me that thinks, look, it's Elon, like he's rich enough that he could set $44 billion on fire and be like, eh, okay, that didn't work. And like nothing changes. hazard. You yeah. know, it just. Well, but the question is, is, Let's
1: think about what's the future of this platform. Should it not succeed?
2: Well, I, I mean, look. I personally think that we are coming to an end of an era for social media. You know, Facebook has literally wiped off eight hundred and thirty billion dollars in value from its company in the past year. Um, wow. uh, you know, that's the equivalent of like of ten of of the in the top one hundred companies in the planet. Uh, market cap combined, just vanishing. Qualcomm, you know, all of them. Uh, Goldman Sachs, these are all companies that are worth $130 billion. It's wiped off half a dozen of those, of its uh, balance sheets, essentially. And they just laid off 11,000 people, 13% of their workforce. Um, Twitter was cut in half. 3,750 people were laid off. Um, I just think that you're going to see this precipitous decline in not only usage, but in value of these companies, because the pandemic taught us one thing, I think, two things, sorry. It taught us that we can survive inside using digital technologies to communicate and to experience media and so on and so forth. But what the end of the pandemic taught us is that we don't want to, Mm -hmm. right? We're right. all out there still, like we're all back in restaurants and going to concerts and uh, dinners at people's houses, even though we could still get COVID because we we're just like, fuck it, I don't care. I, yeah. I want to be around other humans. And I think that the, the, what the, these leaders of these companies didn't realize is that they thought, oh, wow, our value is going up, the usage is going up, like this is it for us. What they didn't realize was post-pandemic it was going to go down. And I think that it's the beginning of the end for social media, in my personal opinion.
0: Yeah, From your mouth to God's ears, we're talking about God a lot today. The
1: 2024 election means this year is going to be chock full of drama and nail-biting suspense. You deserve a politics and news podcast analysis, no spin, no BS, just trusted journalists talking about what you need to know. I'm David Plotz, and each week on Slate's Political Gabfest, Fest, I sit down with the New York Times' as Emily Bazelon and CBS News' as John Dickerson to do just that. Join us as we unpack the latest in politics, news, and the courts. Listen to the Political Gabfest Fest every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: to ask you about the elephant in the room and we're recording this uh, very early what pacific time on tuesday so i just have to say we know that a big political revolutionary action item is about to be announced today uh, at the time of recording it has not been announced so honestly like let's just not even discuss what's about to be announced because it hasn't happened yet we will get to it next week i promise all of our listeners we will get there um but there's nothing to talk about yet so um, well, there is something
2: to, to talk about with it, but yes, there is. Yeah,
0: I think I'm sure the question you have been getting the most since Elon took over is when is Trump going to be allowed back, and that that ties into Facebook as well. Uh, you know, they've been really strict about Trump if and when he is a presidential nominee and potentially down the ri- line back in the White House. What happens?
2: Why would you say something like that?
0: Just a you know a shot in the dark hypothetical situation. <laughs>
2: You know it's interesting i um I've always been right in my prediction of him winning, like I remember fighting with arguing with John Lovett you know back in two thousand and fifteen and saying he was going to win uh and I won twenty dollars from John because he was convinced that hillary was and and i was if you, you invested know,
0: that in Facebook stock,
2: I would have been rich and then poor uh, mm-hmm. it would have been worth a million dollars and then a dollar um and i you know it's interesting, like looking at the rallies, you think, oh. Wow, he still has the the juice. But then, you know, I think this is totally a tangent. I'm just bringing this up because I'm curious what your thoughts are. But it feels like it's like back to the Elon thing. Like Elon's biggest problem is his own personal Twitter account. And Trump's biggest problem is he can't let the 2020 election go. And it's like if he could, I feel like he would win. But because he can't, I think that that is his Achilles heel that is not going to allow him to win. However... And the media won't cover it, right? And every New York Times article, thank God, finally now says like that it's a lie and so on and so forth that he won. But if he gets his Twitter account back, how does that change everything? And Elon has tweeted that, you know, the, the biggest question he's asked is when is Trump going to get his account back? You know, right now, there's apparently there is a committee of people that are, trying to decide who gets their accounts back and who doesn't, you know, it's kind of ironic. It is an incredibly effective tool for silencing people uh, from culture. Um, You know, Milo Yiannopoulos was all anyone could talk about for a minute. He finally gets banned from Twitter. Um, And when have you heard of Milo Yiannopoulos' name since 30 seconds ago when I just said it? And so if he comes back to Twitter, he's obviously going to be back in the culture. Um, and the same, I think, is true for Trump, um, and and I think that you know for, I see from what I can tell with Elon, it's an ace in his sleeve. You know, I think it's something he gets to use, and I think that he he'll use it when he when he needs to, whether that's two weeks from now or two years from now or whatever it is. Um, I think that that's when he'll pull out that card. But I do think he'll get back on.
1: It seems like the you know uh, solution to. Uh, both of their problems in in a weird way, which is Elon needs uh, a star attraction to bring people back to the tent and, um, you know, and to bring all the news organizations back into focus on Twitter. You know, this morning he's uh, just, I was looking at his Twitter account this morning. Twitter is all the news by the yeah. people, for the people. For the people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then just a few days ago, of course, he was telling everybody to vote Republican uh, because he liked divided government, right? This is the – this everybody's that's a popular phrase nowadays as so an excuse to vote for Republicans, I guess. But, um, mm. but I, to your other point about like the decline of social media and then talking also about have news organizations and people who are in the business of covering Trump, have they learned anything? Over the last six years, there was a time, let's call it the, you know, in the olden days when Trump would tweet something that was insane. Everybody would cover it and freak the hell out. Right. And then everybody's numbers would go up on their website. Um, Yeah. So just him coming back, is it automatically going to be what it was? I don't think so.
0: Can I answer? Can I answer this?
2: Yeah, of course. Go for it.
0: Yes. Wait, yes
2: Yes. what? It's going to be... It
0: will be the same. Like, I don't think anyone has learned their lesson. I agree with Emily. I still, like, for better or for worse, I think, I believe it is true that stories about Trump have not done as well as they once did. He used to be the ultimate traffic cash cow. I do not believe that that is the case. But it's also because, like, nothing has really... No one cares about him if he's out of office the way that they cared about him when he was in office. I think cable news channels would drool at the idea of ratings from the Trump era again. The question is, does Trump draw ratings like he once did? I mean, he once won an election, and then he has essentially been on the ballot three more times and has lost in all of those elections. So it is possible that the Trump luster has has worn off, the bloom is off the rose, but I do not believe suddenly the media will not be chasing its tail at everything that Trump says and does.
2: I completely, 1,000% agree with Emily. And case in point is the fucking idiots in the media on Twitter who go to Truth Social, Trump's social media platform, and screenshot his mm-hmm. Truth Socials or whatever you call those things, and then post them to Twitter. Like, the people that do that deserve to have their face mushed in dog shit because they're fucking idiots. Nice. Like, I'm sorry. Hate it's themselves. Just, it, they hate no, themselves. And all they, no, just, all they want is more. They want more likes on Twitter. Just,
0: Free yourself from being liked on social media. Free yourself from yes. torching yourself and following Trump. Thank Let's, you, Emily. Let, let yourself live a happy existence. I promise you, Amen. I'm on the other side of it. I don't check Twitter. I don't give a shit what Trump says. I have literally not paid attention to a single Amen, thing he said sister. since he left office. <laughs> not a single moment of my time has been I wasted on what God he's doing or saying here. or thinking.
2: I think God is here today. I think-
0: I am, can I tell you how much happier I am, how much better I sleep? And I truly directly correlate that with the fact that I do not give a shit about how many people like me on the internet. And I right. do not give a shit about what Donald Trump says. Those two things are the only things in my life have changed. My happiness level has increased infinitely as a result. I've In that time, I have moved across the country. I've had a newborn baby. The most stressful things that you can have, and I still am infinitely happier. And those are the only two reasons. Free yourself from the tyranny that you are putting yourself in.
2: I 1000% agree. And I think that what Twitter does is it, it, Jack Dorsey and all the folks at Twitter used to say that Twitter brings out, that it's sorry, that Twitter is a reflection of society. And I think that that is incorrect. I think that it is mm-hmm. is an, a reflection of extremes in society. And yeah. I think that it brings out the best. In a lot more times the worst in people because of the way it's designed. Um, and that's a whole, that could be an hour-long conversation, uh, just the user interface uh, parts of it. But I think that there are so many people who have, they've gone through this experience over the last decade plus where they've gotten this high from the likes and like, oh my God, look at the followers and this, that, and the other. And then when it crashes, they're like, oh, that that didn't feel good. It's like a drug. and And I think the most normal among us, the people who are the healthiest are like, I don't want to fuck with that. I don't want anything to do with it. And the ones that are the most unhealthy are like, I need that hit again. I need that hit again. Mm -hmm. And like, it's the Elons and the Trumps and some of the pathetic journalists and so on and so forth. And I think that the reality is, is that that Trump knows how to tap into that better than anyone, even better than Elon, I think. Uh, And the question is, is, Will he be able to get back on the platform and use it to get his life back, if you will?
1: Well, I feel like there's a, a, people already are testing, let's call it the uh, the Trump drug in the media with these, you know, Tom Skoka and the New York Times op-ed and Kevin Williamson. They're like, oh, Trump's still a thing. He could still come back. He could still win. And like, of course, that's going to like trigger everybody that reads the newspaper. And in, you'll find out. If We could get behind the scenes at the Times and find out how those two op-eds are doing vis-a-vis the rest of the op-eds. We'd get a taste of it. But I'm going to just throw myself out as like uh, since uh, as a as a skeptic of I think if Trump comes back into the mix, it's not going to be what it was. I truly think that's cute. That's I, I, cute. <laughs> I, I truly no. I, I think it's um. I think it's uh, that something has changed. I think there's a change in the chemistry, uh, between the media and the political class and the, and, you know, the people who want to get on, on Twitter. And I, I, I think there's, uh, things have changed. There's a shift. I, I, I don't know if it's, I, you know, how dramatic a shift it is, but I think things have changed.
2: I, I agree with you, but I think that, again, I think that if you get to a point where it's DeSantis, uh, you know, I was at this, a uh, uh, wedding uh, last weekend and, somebody who will remain nameless, who is a big political person, was saying, oh, Biden's on the top of his game. He's I've never seen him so sharp in 40 years. And I was like, what are you talking about? It doesn't matter how sharp he is when you're talking to him. It matters how sharp he is perceived in public. And in public, he's perceived as kind of pretty old and bumbling and making mistakes and tripping on things and so on and so forth. And Trump, for better and for worse, it's still, like, at the top of his game. I watched one of his um, events last week because I was doing some reporting for something. And, like, he's still funny and, like, to the people that he's funny to. You know, he's still charismatic. He's still up there, you know, with that that thing that he has, that 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 weird Trumpian aura. And I think that if you were to put those two against each other—this is just my personal viewpoint. If you would put those two against each other in the general election, I think— in a normal circumstance, he would win. The only Trump would win. The only thing standing in Trump's way is his, his pathetic obsession with the fact that he won, which he didn't. And I think that will be his downfall. And I think that the question is, is does that affect him in the primaries and get DeSantis in? Can, I, in, in can, which can case, I stop you right DeS- there, Nick? Can I just, I got to yeah. stop you.
1: Yeah. Trump lost the 2020 election.
2: By a few thousand votes when you count in the counties, like
1: yeah, but you can say, but he's, you can but say, his stock is not higher than
2: it was then; it's lower. It doesn't matter what it was, what what his stock is. It matters what it is against. We I used to do graphics at the New York Times, and the graphics editors were. It was always so important to show the correlation between two numbers. So if if you're trying to show if it's a zero and a one, it may not look like much. But if the delta between that is really all that matters, then it does. And it's so and I think that it doesn't matter his at the end of the day, it it's about who they're vote, who they're against. And I think that I totally agree. But I also think that people people are going to get nervous with Biden, I think. Well, let's just see. He might not even be
1: running. We don't even know like 100% whether he's running. But I will say this, and I said it last week. I'm not the only one. But um, every time people discount Biden out, it turns out he's a sharper, savvier pull than people think. And that's actually been part of his – how he's done it is that he's underrated constantly, but he's getting things done, and he's – and the things that he's getting done are popular. So – whether well, you,
0: you, you, also, you also are not even bringing up the fact that the reason why he's running is nothing to do with 2020 or not, nothing to do with it, but it's largely unrelated to 2020. It is related to the legal issues yep. that he is facing, right? He's running a, to I, outrun the law. Yeah. And that's and going to be a I've, burden on him. I have
2: him. a question. Yeah. I have a question. So, for the past four years, we have seen Trump indicted, Trump, you know, charged, Trump, da da da, like daily. Like there's so many alerts. I don't even know what any of them mean anymore. When do any of these actually come to a head? Like when do we actually see some result from something? Well, we just well, had- part of
0: the problem is, yeah. is is I mean, part of the problem is a the legal system is extremely slow, and they've tried to tie things up in appeals and getting special masters and all these things. There's a reason why it's taking forever, and that's because there's a person on one end of it who's trying to make it take forever. And that is why he's announcing so early, like no right-minded candidate is announcing so far ahead, particularly as close to a midterm sort of defeat as we are. And and many of those defeats are at the hands of Donald Trump there because of his endorsements, right? And so no one in their right mind who is politically savvy would choose today to announce their candidacy for the Republican Party he is doing it to intentionally delay those lawsuits because there's going to be a, uh, arguments in courts made that this person's running for the President of the United States. you can't you can't possibly mm. prosecute them now. That's the whole reason. And so I don't know when they're going to come to a head, but this is the strategy and this is where we are. and and to think this is about a loss is not taking into account the fact that this is about a jail sentence.
1: well, but and 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 let me just add that. Even if no prosecution happens right away or he manages to stave it off for a little while, it's going to be hanging over his neck like the sword of Damocles during any election cycle that we're about to have. He's either going to be prosecuted in one of these three prosecutions that are hanging over his head or, you know, he – but even if they don't come to pass, they're going to constantly be evolving in the news in, a, in parallel to him the entire time, which was one of the factors in this midterm was the democracy thing, was people's fear that, oh, I can't deal with these people. Like these secretaries of state who were supposed to be like, uh, you know, set up by Trump to kind of alter the you know election process so that they could win every election from henceforth on didn't work out. And so – This isn't an argument for like Joe Biden in 2024 because he may not – he may get even more perceptively doddering between now and then. We don't know. But (laughs) as we know in politics, nothing is predictable. But I will say – I don't know. Did you guys see what Bernie Sanders said about uh, Trump uh, over the weekend? Either of you? I just want to quickly read this. No, because
0: I'm off Twitter. Uh,
1: Yeah, no, this is, um, (laughs) well, it was in the news. um, As an American, the idea of another Trump campaign and all of his lies and divisiveness and his efforts to undermine American democracy is an absolute horror show. On the other hand, I got to say that as a politician who wants to see that no Republican is elected to the White House in 2024, from that perspective, his candidacy is probably a good thing. Mm. He's
2: – so, you know, that's his – uh, Which reminds me of the way everyone approached Trump in 2016 that, you know, it's just a dog. Don't count him out. Don't count him out. And, uh, well, uh, I, uh,
1: I, uh, I am going to say from uh, my mouth to – I was going to say God's ear, but we'll just say Emily's. Um, you know, that uh, I uh, think that um, the media and Democrats have lived for a long time – with fear in their hearts. And at what point do you finally say, you know what? It's not real. It's not real. He's got a tiny little base, but most people are not like that. And and, tiny little hands. And tiny little hands. And I'm not going to sit around, you know, thinking, oh, here it comes again. I'm going to cower under a rock.
2: Uh, um, Well, I think that there is a lot to be afraid of, but I totally hear you. I I just want to bring this back around to Twitter before we wrap up because i think that trump is it's twitter that got him to to this conversation it's where it's twitter that got him you know i remember when he first won in 2016 and he was being interviewed by barbara walters in his house and uh in the gaudy disgusting furniture and he sat down in a a gold chair that looked like a set piece from game of thrones and uh He said, um, you know, it's Twitter that got me here. Couldn't have won without Twitter. And he's completely right. He, you know, tried to run for 20 years and nothing had changed. And I think that what is going to be really interesting to see over the next couple of years is how Twitter and the media and social media in general uh, fares In this election cycle, because I think we're 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 all a little burned out on it. And I think Elon is making some people even more burned out on it. And the question is, can the platforms fare in this world where we kind of don't want to necessarily engage with it like we once did? Um, And can it help propel one person to the White House or or keep them necessarily away? Well, I just want to say to you guys
1: who were uh, pioneering in your departure from Twitter, or at least downsizing of your – and using it, as somebody who's been off of it for the last three weeks, uh, quality of life moving up, higher quality of life, high, higher quality of daily attention. And, you know, I also feel – and you guys – this is a longer conversation, but just get your two cents – is that – Twitter is very popular among journalists, as everybody knows. I think it's also been destructive to journalism in general. Oh my
2: God, it's been compl- the media. I mean, don't don't even get me started. I think <laughs> that the I you know I look. I was at the New York Times when they was the when the integration happened between the web and the newspaper. I was there. I was involved. I was. It was too. Pieces of land crashing up against each other. Because the original intent was always that these news outlets would have separate news websites that would go public and, you know, and they would be different businesses. And then they decided, oh, that's not going to work. And I think that the destruction of media, I personally think that the media industry in the United States is one of the worst parts of this country. Way, way, way worse than politics, than anything. Um, and I think that, that, that what has exacerbated it and sped it up and taken away so much from it is social media because it's made journalists into, quote unquote, stars with obsessions with attention. And then they, for the first time ever, can get their opinion out there. And then their opinion gets into their news stories. And it's just incredibly destructive what's happened to the to the news. And And now we live in a world where no one can agree on facts and no one can agree on opinions or anything and no one listens to anyone else. And the central point of that, I think, is Twitter and Facebook.
0: Can I just make one point, and then and then we are going to wrap up because uh, in a in an episode that Joe and I before we we Aaron said let's not talk about Trump today. We ended up talking about <laughs> Trump today, and that is well, it's
2: Twitter, so you can not you can't not talk about Trump with Twitter. Well, but it's yes. also
0: Trump, and that's. That's kind of the way he is. He he ends up taking up a lot of the oxygen in the room, as as many narcissists do. Um, First of all, I think that we were in a period of time where you, as a journalist, and I felt this very keenly, and this is something I thought about a lot, and maybe some journalists aren't as thoughtful and maybe some of them are more thoughtful, but we were in kind of like an extra journalistic time where you – You couldn't just call balls and strikes, which is what journalists are supposed to do. There's a difference between being partisan and being an authority a little bit. And and like there's right and left and then there's right and wrong. And I feel like journalists were put in a position where they had to say like something is wrong because something so many things were blatantly wrong. And so I feel like we were in this time where, yes, we had to go beyond what was typical journalistic duty and norms. And I don't think I regret any of that as a journalist. I feel like I was very careful when I was inserting an opinion and I felt very justified inserting an opinion. But I think once you go that step, it's very hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I think particularly in an environment where journalists are encouraged by likes and that get that dopamine hit. And oftentimes the things that are liked the most are the, the opinions. Amen. Uh, there was a feedback loop that was happening that made people go further into that arena. And uh, it was just very, very tricky. Before we wrap up, Nick, I'm going to fact check you on something. And I'm going to do it oh, because of a nice. per- personal interest. You said that Barbara Walters interviewed Trump. It was Leslie Stahl. And was I only it? say this. Yeah. It was for sixty minutes. And I only say this because I my dog is named Barbara Walters. I love Barbara Walters more than anything. And Barbara Walters has basically been missing.
2: Uh, has basically been
0: missing for ten years, oh which is God. a personal obsession and fascination of Wait, mine. What do you
2: mean she's been missing?
0: I think she is not doing well, and no one has seen her in like many years or her.
2: But she does her. look a lot like Leslie Stahl, right?
0: Sure, of course. They're <laughs> blonde women of a certain age on the news. But yes, but but I'm just, all I'm saying that is because uh, I'm putting this out in the ether that if anyone wants to talk to me about Barbara Walters, who's listening to this thing, come to my way.
2: I think there's a podcast spinoff here, the Barbara Walters, where is she now? Oh, please.
0: I could literally, I could literally talk for like uh, probably conservatively 90 minutes about where Barbara Walters is and what, what's been happening.
2: That's hilarious. So um, hit me
0: up if you're interested.
2: Uh, just last point to, to what you were saying, and and, and then I, I, I will – I do remember when I first started at The Times and I was in a meeting, a news meeting, and I forget what the story was. It's irrelevant. But we were walking out of the news meeting, and there's all these old school editors that have been there for 50 years. And I said to this guy, Tom, who was one of those old school editors, I was walking out. I was this young kid, and I was like, what do you think? And he goes, I don't have an opinion on it. And I was like, no, 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 but what do you think? And he said – I don't have an opinion on it. I'm a journalist. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. But what do you really think? And he got mad at me and he stopped. and He looked at me and he goes, Nick, I'm a journalist and I do not have an opinion on this. I simply report the facts. And I always remember that because I was like, it was like the first time I got yelled at there. And I was like, whoa. And and I think that's gone. It's an era that doesn't exist anymore. And I think that that is pretty sad. And I think that we can blame Twitter as a result of that. So fully. on that note... Boom, TikTok, baby. <laughs> That's where we're headed. I'll see you over there. I got some dance moves. I'll see you guys on TikTok. I'm going to be um, doing some Trump dances. Lordy, yeah. at kidding. Nick built in. I don't even have it.
0: Well, Nick, as always, it was an honor and a privilege to get to talk to you, particularly on these subjects. Uh, Next week, I'm sure we uh, will have plenty to talk about. So join us here. Thank you. And we will see you right here next week.
2: Thanks for having me all. I appreciate it. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it.